0: At this time in our service, we give our attention to God's word. We have it both read to us that we might hear it and preach to us so that we might understand it and believe it and orient our lives that we might live our lives according to it. Today we start a brand new sermon series in the book of 1 John, and Larissa is going to come and read the scriptures for us this morning. Right, I'll be reading 1 John, verse 1 through 4. It can be found on page 1021 of the Bibles. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon, and I have touched, and have touched our hands, concerning the word of life, and life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, and made manifest in to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. The word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Our God, we give you thanks for gathering us again on this Sunday to receive grace from you through your Son, Jesus Christ, by the help and power of the Holy Spirit. We ask now for his help as we both proclaim and receive your word, that your Holy Spirit would be generous to us in both ends. Be with my mouth that it might say all that you want me to say and nothing more. I pray that you would give me great freedom to speak your word and great constraint that I might not err in what I say. Pray for your people that we might be overcome in our own sinful disposition and resistance to you and your word and that you might reach us with your word, and that the Holy Spirit would give life to these words so that they might not be merely heard, but that we might do what your scriptures say. We pray that you would save Christianity at Seven Mile Road from being rote or routine, that you might save our gatherings from being going through motions, lifeless, dead, fake, inauthentic, but that you might cause them to be true and real among us and in each of us individually. Help us in this season as we consider your word in the book of 1 John. Thank you for writing this letter that we might hear it and know it. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Before my wife, Shainu was a full-time mom. She was a nursing student and a professional nurse. Um, That was before we had kids. That was years ago. Uh, You should have seen her back then. She was energetic and vibrant. She loved her job. She used to smile. It's been about four years since Shainu has slept or smiled uh, since we had the kids, and so things are a bit different, but when she was a nurse, I remember one of the things that she used to tell me. We were dating when she was in nursing school. they, They taught them how to identify sickness, And I remember the sort of lab that they did was, in order to understand disease and diagnose sickness, what they would do was they would examine one another. Now, as I heard that, I remember that sounding a bit odd because these were perfectly healthy nursing students. And so what, I thought, are they going to learn about sickness in examining one another when they are perfectly healthy? And she told me, that what the instructor was trying to have them see is that the, one of the ways, for them at least, that they could understand and identify what sickness looked like was by becoming very familiar with what health looked like. So that if they had a good vision for what health was, now they could spot when something was off or something seemed variant to that. By understanding and having a clear vision for health, they could identify sickness and disease and unhealth. I'm told it's a similar sort of principle that law enforcement agents use when they're trying to spot counterfeit bills. So what I'm told is that they don't stand and try and memorize every kind of counterfeit that's out in the market or in circulation. What they do instead is that they become incredibly familiar with what an original, authentic dollar bill looks like. They become familiar with what it looks like, what it feels, the texture, the raised ink, the edges, the watermarks, the serial numbers. They come to memorize it so that they could tell what's real with their eyes closed. And they come to know it so well that then, when they come across a fake, a phony, a, a, a fraud, when they come across that which is counterfeit, they are able to identify it easily, right? The, the principle, if there was one, would be this that by seeing what is health, you can spot that which is unhealth. Or by knowing that which is original, you can spot that which is fake. By knowing what is authentic, you are able to expose that which is counterfeit. Right? The principle, if there was one, is that by becoming familiar with that which is authentic, you are able to expose that which is counterfeit. That is the principle that the Apostle John employs in the letter that we're going to start studying today. In his first letter, in the book of 1 John, if there is a principle that's sort of at work underneath the whole thing, it would be that as the Apostle John expounds and articulates and grants to us a vision for what authentic Christianity is, we are better able to expose and see what counterfeit Christianity is, right? In John's letter, he's not dealing with diseases or dollar bills, he's dealing with something far more significant of great weight and magnitude. What John is trying to do through his letter is he's essentially trying to draw a line between authentic Christians and counterfeit Christians. He's essentially, through his letter, going to draw a line and try and distinguish people, more specifically, religious people. Even more specifically, people who would call and consider themselves to be Christian. He he would take a bunch of churchgoers like you who've gathered on a Sunday morning in all the places you could be, you're at church. He would take a bunch of us, and he would try and draw a line and differentiate between those of us that are authentic and those of us that are counterfeit. What John's going to do throughout his letter is he's going to try and help us who would call and consider ourselves to be Christian, who would assume that we are good and right with God, and he is going to try and expose among us who are the fakes and the frauds and the phonies and the shartons and the shams and and the counterfeits, And, and I could go all day. I'm like a walking thesaurus, right? Who are the frauds and who are original, real, authentic, genuine Christians. Now, that's important. We need John's letter, right? Because as bad as disease or, or fake dollar bills would be, imagine the tragedy of thinking you are right with God, going your whole life thinking that you're in with God and finding out in the end that you have been a fraud the whole time. Imagine the tragedy of thinking, of going through your whole life thinking that you are a Christian and finding in the end that you have been a fake the whole time. We need John's letter because John is going to help us to see and examine whether we are authentic or counterfeit. And what John's going to do is he's going to articulate authentic Christianity and give us a vision for what authentic Christians look like. And he's going to make it so crystal clear that he is also simultaneously going to expose that which is counterfeit and that which is fake. Now, why does John do this in this letter? This letter is five chapters long. Why does he give himself to this task for these five chapters? In order to understand that, you've got to back up for a second. We're we're getting a bit ahead of ourselves. So what I want us to do is back up for a moment. If we're going to spend the fall in these five chapters, and that's what we're going to do, it would be worthwhile for us to get some background on this book that we're going to be studying. So here's some of the background for this letter. It's called 1 John because it was the first letter written by John, right? John was an apostle of Jesus Christ. John was one of the original twelve followers of Jesus and in fact John has a resume that's even more impressive John wasn't just one of the twelve John wasn't was just one of the apostles John was sort of in Jesus inner circle so Jesus had many followers and then smaller circles and smaller circles then he had the twelve and even within the twelve he had a group of three guys that he was even more intimate with this included Peter James and John Out of the three, John shares an even more intimate relationship with Jesus. In fact, John is called in the scriptures as the apostle, the one whom Jesus loved. So if Jesus Christ had a best friend on earth, it would be John. Right? You got to think of that for a second. If God in the flesh had a best friend, that was John. So when you read his letter, you're you're hearing from someone who didn't just know Jesus, who in that 33 years was probably God in the flesh's best friend. That's John. And, And John followed Jesus when he was a young man, probably in his 20s or 30s. By the time he's writing this letter, many years has passed. He's now in his 80s or 90s. So he's an old man. Decades have passed since his best friend Jesus was on the earth. And now John finds himself the pastor of a church. And, and what he finds is that he, an 80, 90-year-old man, is pastoring a bunch of 20-year-olds and 30-year-olds and teenagers. These folks who, like you and me, grew up hearing stories about Jesus but never saw him with their own eyes, never heard him with their own ears, never touched him with their own hands like John had. So his church is just like us. People who grew up hearing these stories were always told that it's true, but never had been eyewitnesses themselves. And the Apostle John is their grandpa pastor. He's this old, godly, sweet, elderly man who cares so deeply for this church that he's been called to pastor, that Jesus, his best friend, had entrusted him with. His love for this church is evident throughout the letter. In fact, if you read these five chapters, you're going to hear John's mushy, sentimental heart over and over again. It's going to make us a bit uncomfortable, right? John cannot speak to this church without terms of endearment. He'll call them 12 different times. He'll call them either beloved my beloved, beloved ones. Beloved, believe this. Beloved, I'm writing to you. And if he's not using the term beloved, he's going to use the term children or little children. It's almost translated my little born again ones, right? My children, my little children. I'm writing to you children. Little children, believe this. My dear little children. And over and over again, this pastor's heart for his people is evident in these pages. John, this old 90-year-old man, loves this young group that is in his church. And he wants so badly, more than anything else, he wants them to be authentic Christians. He wants them to know Jesus like he knew Jesus. There's nothing this godly pastor wants more for his people than that they would be authentic Christians. His deepest desire is that they would be fully formed, mature followers of Jesus Christ. That's what any pastor wants for his church. That is what I want for you. That's what I want for anyone who calls Seven Mile Road their home. And John so badly, more than anything else, wants to see this small church become authentic Christians. There's just one problem, And this problem is so massive in scope that it is the reason John wrote the letter. It's a problem so threatening to his beloved little children that it is the reason why he wrote this letter. Here it is. Some of the folks from this gathering have gone out from the church. And they have strayed from authentic Christianity. And they've begun to download and believe a bunch of junk theology about Jesus. And what's worse is not only have they strayed and not only have they left the church and not only have they believed this garbage about Jesus, they are now trying to teach this junk theology, these heresies, back to the people that they knew. You can imagine, right? This is not some foreign threat from outside. This is not turning on your TV and watching bad preaching on TBN. This is if some folks from Seven Mile Road left the church, right? Folks we had contact with, folks that we would continue to have contact with, who began to believe junk about Jesus and then try and teach that garbage back into the church. So now John begins to see that in his church and ministry there are a bunch of counterfeits and that these counterfeits are threatening to lead astray his beloved little children who are in the church. That's enough to keep the Pastor John awake all night. Because now Pastor John realizes in his gathering, not everyone here is really here. So if Pastor John were standing here, he'd look out into an audience like this one and know that not everyone my eyes see are authentic Christians. That's weighty for Pastor John. It's weighty for any pastor. And then he knows, not only are not everyone gathered here authentic Christians, but that these counterfeits have the potential to lead astray those here who are authentic Christians. That's enough to keep John up at night. That's enough to keep any pastor up at night. And then furthermore, His beloved little children, his precious flock that he's been called to pastor, now are being tossed about with all this stuff that they're hearing so that it's beginning to cause doubt in their own heart. They're hearing John teach one thing. They're hearing these friends of theirs that they've known and loved for so long teach another thing, and now they're sort of stuck in the middle of the two and confused, which is true. What is right? What is real faith and, and are we really believers? Because they say they're the real believers and, and how do we know if we're right or they're right and how do we know if this faith is real or if we're real believers and, and they're sort of caught in the middle of all of this. And the Holy Spirit of God uses that circumstance to inspire John to write this letter. The Holy Spirit of God uses that horrific moment to write this good word to believers. And John's purpose in writing this letter is crystal clear. If I could summarize why he writes these five chapters and all these words, if I could tell you there's one thing the Apostle John is trying to do, it'd be this. 1 John 5, verse 13. You can just hear it. Again, you've got many chapters, many verses. If I could tell you the point of the letter, it'd be what he says in 1 John 5, 13. Just hear it. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you might know that you have eternal life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you might know that you have eternal life. If John's got one aim, one purpose, one reason for writing this book, it's to give assurance and comfort to his beloved little flock that their faith is true and that they are genuine, true believers. And so his aim is I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you might know that you have eternal life. How good is God! Right? God sees this small church and the churches that would follow and sees many authentic, real Christians struggling, wondering, am I really a believer? Is this really true? Am I really in? Do I really have eternal life? And God makes John write this letter so that his church and all the churches since, including us, that we who believe in the name of the Son of God might know that we have eternal life. That's John's purpose. He wants to cause boldness and confidence and assurance and comfort in the hearts of his hearers, in the hearts of his church. Eight different times in this book, he's going to use the same phrase, by this you may know. By this we know. By this we know. He'll say that eight different times in every chapter because that's his point. By this you'll know that you're really in. In fact, not one section in these five chapters goes where he's not raising some kind of, if this is true, you're authentic. If this is not true, you're a counterfeit. If this is happening, you're a counterfeit. If this is happening, you're authentic. I mean, every single section of the book is to grant assurance and reassurance and confidence to those who believe in the name of the Son of God that they might know that they have eternal life. If you read John's gospel, remember this is the Apostle John. He had written a book first before this letter. He wrote Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, John. That was his. And he wrote this gospel about Jesus. And at the end of that gospel, he tells the reader why he wrote the book. He said, I write this so that you may believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So there his purpose is, I want you to believe this. But now he's writing a letter after the gospel to the churches to say, Having read my first work, and now believing in the Son of God, I'm writing to this to you who believe in the Son of God that you might know that you have eternal life. So what he's writing to are folks like us who would call and consider ourselves Christians, and he's going to try and help you see whether you have reason for assurance or not, whether you are an authentic Christian And of course, as we said from the beginning, as he articulates and helps us become familiar with what authentic Christianity is and what an authentic Christian looks like, he will simultaneously expose and confront and challenge those of us that are counterfeits. I think John's letter is going to serve us really, really well in these next few months. I am so excited for this book and so excited for us because I think the epistle of John, the first one, is going to serve us really well in this season at 7 Mile Road. I think for some of you, this letter is going to comfort you. There are many of you who are true believers. And every believer at some point in their life is going to have a season of doubt in their soul. None of us avoid it. And maybe you're there right now, maybe you've passed it, maybe it's still coming. But you're going to have this season where you wonder, is this real? Is this fairy tale and fable and myth and legend that mom and dad told me? Is this something so that my life doesn't feel empty and meaningless? Is this thing of substance, is it real? And you're going to have doubt not just about the faith objectively. You're going to have doubt about yourself subjectively. You're going to wonder, am I real? Am I a fake, a fraud, a phony? Am I going through these motions? Am I doing this ritual because I'm scared of what life would be outside of this? This is all I've ever known. Am I a fraud? Am I a counterfeit? And there's going to be seasons where your sin comes and, and screams to you, and your conscience comes and screams to you, and your enemy comes and screams to your soul and goes, You're fake. You can fool everyone else, but, but God knows you're not real. And, and you're going to hear and doubt and wonder am I really in? Do I really have eternal life? And I'm telling you, John's letter, you need his letter because his letter is going to come and be bomb for your doubting soul. It's going to put steel in the backbone of your faith, and his letter is going to come, and and it's as if 90-year-old John could put his arm around your shoulder and say, it's real, and you're real. I'm writing this to you so that you might know that you have eternal life. And this book has a way of comforting your doubting soul. This letter is also going to challenge some of you and confront some of you. Because some of you at Seven Mile Road, please hear me, are in a very dangerous place. The Bible is very clear that wherever there is religion and wherever there are churches, there are always going to be fakes and frauds and counterfeits and charlatans and shams. There there are always going to be phonies. The Bible is crystal clear that wherever there is religion and churches, you're going to find people who think they're in that are not in. That's clear. It's, it's, and you can't tell. I'll tell you, as a pastor looking out at a crowd, like John would have looked out at his church, he didn't know who the counterfeits and the authentic ones were. You can't tell just by looking at the externals. It's impossible to know. I, I, I was thinking this week, as I was thinking about this, of the, the movie The Matrix. If you remember that movie, the, the bad guys look like everybody else, right? They're sort of shapeshifters, So you could be walking and seeing a woman in a red dress and then all of a sudden see that it's a man in a suit with a gun to your head, right? And and there's no way of knowing who the good guys are and who the bad guys are. They look just like everyone else. And Jesus' church has always been filled with wolves that look like sheep, with counterfeits that come this close to looking like the real thing. In 2 Timothy 3, he'll say, In these days, you're going to have those who have an appearance of godliness but have no power. Hear that. He says there are going to be people who have an appearance of godliness. That is, nothing on the outside is going to let you know that they're fake. But they don't have spiritual power. Or in Matthew 7, Jesus himself will say, there are going to be some of you who all the way till the end didn't know that you weren't in. I mean, literally at the end, on the last day, they're saying to Jesus, Lord, Lord, we cast out demons in your name, we performed miracles in your name, we did many righteous things in your name, and Jesus is going to say, I never knew you. I don't know who you are. Their whole life, they've been calling on the name of Jesus, and Jesus in the end is going to say to them, I never knew who you were. The scriptures are clear that churches are filled with sheep and wolves, and that churches like ours are filled with authentic Christians and counterfeit Christians. And and some of you are faking it and you know it. You don't have love for Jesus. You don't have love for his church. You don't live as God commands. And throughout his letter, these three places, love for Jesus, love for one another, obedience to God's commands, is sort of the test that John's going to give over and over again throughout the letter. I won't say more on it now because you'll hear it every week. Love for Jesus, real belief in the real true Jesus, love for one another, real authentic love for Jesus' church, obedience to Jesus' commands, living a life where the gospel makes a difference. These are the litmus tests John's going to use. And some of you are faking it and you know because you don't love Jesus and you don't care about his church and you don't live as God commands. Some of you are faking it and you don't know it. Do you know that that's possible? Because throughout this letter he says, you're deceived, you've deceived yourselves, you don't even know. And this letter is going to come and confront you and challenge you and expose your counterfeit and plead with you and invite you into authentic Christianity. So wherever you are, we have good hope because over these next few months and over these five chapters and through this first letter, John, God through John, wants to invite you into authentic Christianity. He wants to invite you deeper into what it means to really be a Christian. What does that mean? And what he's going to do is give us a vision for authentic Christianity that we might be authentic Christians. For John's letter, authentic Christianity is rooted in Jesus Christ. Real Christianity is rooted in the real Jesus. right? That's what makes Christianity very different than everything else. Christianity is not rooted on a moral teaching. It's not rooted on a philosophy, a way of life. It's not rooted in some commandments. Christianity is rooted in a person. It's very different. A historical, actual, real person. And so for John, real, authentic Christianity is rooted in the real, authentic Jesus. That's how he begins his letter. So in the few minutes that we have left, all I want to do is get your feet wet in the first four verses of John so you can just hear how he starts his letter. For him, authentic Christianity starts with the real Jesus. And that's who he wants to talk about right out of the gate in the first four verses. Just hear what he says in verses 1 through 4. Let me read 1 and 2 first. 1 John 1, verses 1 and 2. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Let me pause there. John starts his letter by telling you about the real Jesus. Look, look again at verse 1 and 2. You're going to notice Jesus' name is not there but he's talking about Jesus. How do I know? You'll see it in a moment. Right? He wants to start his letter by telling you, look, this real faith and to know if you're really in starts with the real Jesus. And, and he wants to tell this church, remember, his, his beloved little flock is being troubled by all these heretics, and they're spouting all, all this junk about Jesus. Some of them are saying, you know what, he was God, but he wasn't really in the flesh. He was just sort of walking around. He didn't leave footprints wherever he went. He was sort of faking it the whole time. God but not man. Other folks were coming around and saying, look, he was totally a man. He wasn't God, though right? That's sort of the lie we would hear in our day. Jesus is a good teacher, a moral man, a prophet, someone worth following. Love him like Gandhi. Follow him like Martin Luther King, but don't call him God. And John's going to come and say to his beloved children who are hearing all this junk about Jesus and saying, let me tell you who Jesus really was. You know why? Because I knew him. I was with him. And the first thing he says is Jesus is really God. He starts his letter sort of the same way he started his book. Remember I told you he wrote the Gospel of John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. He wrote John. In John 1, verse 1, this is how he starts the book. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And it's sort of the same thing here. He he says, that which was from the beginning, he goes on to say, concerning the Word of life, which was with the Father. It's sort of the same introduction because what he's trying to say is, listen, Jesus didn't start like the rest of us. His day one wasn't when he was brought into the world in that crib. He was there long before that manger in Bethlehem. He was from the beginning. He was with the Father. He is the eternal word of life. He's the eternal message that God has wanted to say to the world. And he was with the Father from the beginning. That's who Jesus is. He's really God. And you almost want to say, John, if if he really is God, how can you claim to know this? Because If there is a God, he is obviously inaudible. You can't hear him. Nobody heard God on the way today. You can't see him. No one saw God here today. You can't approach him. You can't touch him. How do you claim to know this invisible, inaudible, unapproachable, untouchable God? And John says, that's just it. He manifested himself to us. He appeared. Look at verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we've seen it, and we testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life. John's saying, though he was really God, Jesus really became man. And he's saying, do you know how I know? Because I saw him, and I heard him, and I touched him with my own hands. When you read John, you're getting the testimony of an eyewitness to these things being true. It's not a myth. It's not a fable. It's not a legend. It's not a fairy tale. John the Apostle is telling his church, people who had never seen Jesus themselves, I'm proclaiming to you what I saw with these eyes. He's 90 year old. They don't work. But when I was 20, I saw him. These ears don't hear so well anymore, but I heard him. These hands don't move fast anymore, but I touched him. That's John. This is John who would say to that church and say to us, how do I know this is real? I heard him with these ears. I was fishing in a boat with my brother James and my father John, and I heard him say, follow me. And I got up and I left. I I saw him with these eyes. I was there when he walked Peter and James and me, just the three of us, up a mountain, and you, you now call it the transfiguration, John would say. This moment where Jesus almost peeled back his humanity and for a second gave us a glimpse of his glory and we saw him. I was there, John would say, and I saw him walk the crucifixion. In fact, when all the apostles weren't there, I was standing at the foot of the cross when Jesus Christ died for my sin and the sins of you, my beloved little children. I was there when Jesus said to me, and our eyes met, and he said to me, take care of my mom, and I have. John would say, I I touched him with these hands. I touched him on the night when he said he was going to die, and I leaned back on his chest because I couldn't believe my best friend was going to die the next day. Or John would say, I, I was there when the women came and told us that Jesus had risen from the dead, and I ran to the grave with Peter, and I ran faster than Peter. I was 20 and fast. And I outran Peter to the grave, and I looked into the empty tomb, and then Jesus appeared to us later. And he said, see, touch me. Know that I'm not a ghost. I've seen him with these eyes, heard him with these ears, touched him with these hands, And John would say, I testify to you that which we have seen, which we have heard, which we have touched with our own hands. Maybe you're here going, if only we could have seen what John saw or heard what he heard or touched what he touched, then we would know this Jesus and believe as John does. And that's why John writes what he does next in verse 3. He wants to say, that's why I'm telling you. Verse 3. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. Indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. John is saying, that's why I'm telling you this stuff. So that you don't have to be on the outside looking in. You can have fellowship with Christ just like me. And you can have fellowship with us by believing this gospel. And he says, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son. So all who believe are brought into fellowship with the apostles and with the Father and the Son. This is why earlier in our service, when Sibby stands up and he says, we're going to say a creed, the point of that moment is not just some filler in the service. The point is to say, those who confess this and believe what we're about to say now, we have fellowship with one another. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son. Those who believe these truths are authentic Christians, and we have fellowship with one another. John would say, listen, our fellowship, our community, as we would call it here, is not built on race. It's not built on ethnicity. It's not built on a common background or a common passion or a common mission. Our fellowship is built on believing truth about Jesus. And if you believe that truth, you are authentically in this fellowship. And if you don't, you're a counterfeit and you're not. And the last thing he says is as this gospel, believing in this true Jesus, brings us into community, into fellowship, he says, and I'm writing these things to you, verse 4, so that our joy might be complete. It's almost as if he sees this gospel, it's brought him into community. And he says, and I'm proclaiming it to you. I'm going on mission. I'm saying it to you so that our joy might be complete. Last thing I want to say about it, and then I'll wrap up. It's sort of odd that John says, I'm telling you these truths so that you can believe it, so that my joy would be complete. You almost expect John to say, I'm telling you this because if you believe it, it's for your own good. It's so that your joy would be complete. But John doesn't say it that way. John says, I'm writing this to you so that you may believe it, that my joy might be complete. Why does he say it that way? Because for this dear apostle, these people are so precious to him that if they prove to be counterfeit, his own joy is at stake and threatened. For John, he's saying, how am I going to rejoice if you, my beloved little children, end up being frauds and counterfeits. I'm telling you this so that you can believe, and if you believe it, finally my joy will be complete. This pastor is looking at his people and saying, if you end up being counterfeits, my joy is at stake. But if you are authentic Christians, then my joy is complete. This love for people propels John to say, you have to believe this. Because my joy is at stake in you believing this. Because I love you so dearly. You have to get this right. And in these next few weeks, as we read through this letter, John is going to be a good litmus test for your soul. Right? Read these five chapters. Read them over and over again. I promise you can read it in one reading during your lunch hour. It's quick. Allow First John to be a litmus test for your soul. Ask yourself, am I an authentic Christian? And in these next few weeks, you will find out. Let's pray. Our Lord, we give you thanks for this time together in your word. We pray for your blessing upon these coming weeks. We pray that you might reach every soul here that none of us would prove in the end to be frauds, prove to be phonies or counterfeits who had the appearance of godliness but denied its power, who said all the time, Lord, Lord, and will in the end hear you say, I never knew you. Pray that you would comfort every doubting soul here, every soul here battered with accusation we pray that you would give them great assurance and consolation that you are real and those in you are authentic and genuine. And for all of us that are deceiving ourselves, would you expose our own inauthenticity to us that we might move to true faith in you. We ask the Holy Spirit to do great things in these coming weeks beginning even this day as we consider what it is that we believe about Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.